This podcast is part of the C-Suite Radio Network, turning the volume up on business. Welcome to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us as Deb talks with her guests, experts in their fields, as they share real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. Good morning, good morning. I am Deb Creer, and I am passionate about giving professionals the tools that they need to make themselves and their careers as successful as possible. Today, we're going to have a great time talking primarily to women. Now, this message does apply to everyone, but you know, this, this subject really is something that we want to focus on our women listeners. So men, pay attention. It's okay. But remember some of the things when you're dealing with the women in your life. So now that I've teased that a lot, please join me in welcoming Dr. Meg Myers-Morgan to our program today. Welcome, Meg. Good morning, Deb. Thank you for having me. You know, we really are going to have a lot of fun with this. And, and, you know, so before we start talking, let me tell people just a little bit about you. Yes. So Meg Myers-Morgan, PhD, is an assistant professor at the University of Oklahoma and the director of graduate programs in public administration and nonprofit management on the OU Tulsa campus. Meg's collection of essays, hairbrained, it seemed like a good idea at the time, which I have to get that. That just sounds Yes, you do. (laughs) Won the gold medal for humor from the Independent Publisher Book Awards, which is IPPY. She gave a TED Talk, Negotiating for Your Life, for TEDxOU in 2016. She speaks publicly about recruiting and retaining talent, negotiating in work and life, and developing women as leaders. Meg holds a PhD and an MPA from the University of Oklahoma, as well as a degree in English and Creative Writing with honors from Drury University. She is currently pursuing a graduate certification in Executive and Leadership Coaching from Columbia University. Meg lives in Tulsa with her husband and their two young daughters. So again, Meg, welcome. Thank you. Well, first, tell us a little bit about where you got to where you are today. Why did you decide this was your passion in life? Yeah, so for the last uh, 10 years, I've been teaching in higher ed, and higher ed is skewed toward women. There are more women in the classroom um, since the 80s. I talk about this a little bit in the book. Um, Mm -hmm. There are more women in the classroom than men. And so while I advise um, everybody, all the students, I mostly uh, advise women, young professional women. And if they're seeking the graduate program that I administer and teach in, they're often um, doing that program to then step into leadership. Mm-hmm. So just by experience alone, I saw both in my own um, career path, but also in helping other women in their career path, it just became this this passion and this purpose of seeing the obstacles that women face, and not that men don't have obstacles, but they're different obstacles for women, and just sort of became something that I wrote frequently about, was asked to give talks about, um, and now and now this book, Everything is Negotiable, is about um, negotiating all of these obstacles that are in our way, or are in women's way. Mm-hmm. You know, and <clears throat> it was interesting, as I was reading your book, 
And then looking at some other things, it dawned on me that you are what we would consider, and I'm putting this in my fun little air quotes, <laughs> a millennial. Yeah. And of course, we all go, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we hear such horrible, or not horrible, we hear right. negative things. And, and there are obviously stereotypes about millennials. And I look at, at you and I look at your accomplishments and you are extremely accomplished for anyone, let alone someone at your, your young age. And I say that because I'm actually probably old enough to be your mother. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, it goes to show that we can be whoever we want to be, no matter what demographic we b- get put into, you know, a Gen Z, a Gen yeah. X, a millennial, all these various things. But I think part of it is sometimes people use those things as an excuse. You know, they, well, I can't use technology because I'm a baby boomer. Right. You know, or, well, you know, I'm a millennial, so people automatically think negative things about me. Mm-hmm. And so that does kind of tie into what you were experiencing is that we have to set our own paths, especially mm-hmm. as women, and we can't fall back on the excuses. Right. Yeah, in the classroom, um, so yes, you're right. I am, <laughs> by the definition, a millennial Though I, I don't know that it fits me. I think it's just like, you know, reading anything, your Zodiac or whatever. You're not right. sure. Right. I know. Am I a Pisces? Am I right. a Pisces? But I don't um, like water. Yeah. But it used to be uh, that I was the youngest faculty member. And so youth mm-hmm. was a really big part of, it kind of became my identity. She's the young professor. She's the young author. Mm-hmm. She's a young woman speaking. And just recently, maybe a month ago, uh, I had somebody say that one of the new faculty members was the young one. And I realized, Oh, okay. <laughs> like I've, I'm, I'm, they, they oh my gosh, you lost your identity. <laughs> and so I always, it's a, it's a great talking point with women because especially in millennials, I'm finding that a lot of my students are getting into leadership positions at much younger rates. Mm-hmm. So I may have a 27 year old that's a CEO of a nonprofit. It's right. very common. Mm-hmm. And and the question then becomes, it's great to achieve, and I struggle with this myself, it's great to achieve a lot at a young age, but you got to give yourself somewhere to go. Right. And so if you're a CEO at 27, we have to start thinking about what does the next thing look like? And so I really try to caution uh, people in the millennial uh, category and myself to not necessarily, I always say don't aim for a bullseye, spend your career sharpening your arrows. You don't really want to just be aiming at one particular level because you're they're hitting it quicker and so yeah so that that conversation comes up a lot about you know youth fades as we know but it shouldn't be where your identity is and so when we start talking about ourselves as young or as millennials we do exactly what you say we limit ourselves mm-hmm. you know and I love that concept of don't aim for the bullseye yeah. and you know that happens to to many people yeah and again you know it doesn't matter age sex you know whatever we we have the goal of x yeah and we make it and yeah. then it's then what yeah. <clears throat> you know and and do we lose our identity i was having a conversation with somebody the other day who has reached the retirement age but her entire being is her identity of what she does for a living mm-hmm. and she said i i don't know that i can survive without that you know, and, and my father went through that when he retired, you know, the, the, you know, he was that career person, you know, he'd been, he'd been with the, the Division of Wildlife in Colorado mm-hmm. for his, you know, most of his entire adult life. And he retired and he then hit the, 
well, now what the heck do I do stage? Um, you know, so when we have those big, hairy, audacious goals, you know, the yeah. BHAGs, and, and we've got the, you know, we have to hit X. And, and it can be personal yeah. too. You know, I'm going to have two children by the time I'm 25 yeah. or, you know, whatever all those, those goals are. Then we hit it. What do we do from there? Yeah, that's the, that's the funny thing about, and, and I, I struggle with this and work a lot um, with career coaching clients and with students about the achieving, um, the, the path to achieving something, as we know, is, is the important part. And that the second you hit the achieving, it becomes maintaining. And the maintaining just isn't fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if you, if you lose a lot of weight, for example, it's the maintaining that's the hard part. When right. you CEO, then you have to do, then you have to be a CEO mm-hmm. for years and years and years. And it's, it's just simply not as fun. And so people are kind of constantly um, kind of going after that. And that's a lot of what everything is negotiable about is about is having a healthy relationship with your ambition and being okay with the fact that you're going to achieve these goals and you're still going to want more. And it's frustrating, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that you talk about a lot in your book is that, we need to adapt and change as those goals change. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and unfortunately we have seen the people who hit that goal and then they, they don't know what to do or they think hitting that goal will get them X. Um, right. you, know, you, yeah. you talk to obviously a lot of students that, and, you know, I, I love the parts in your book where you were talking to students who said, I have to get a PhD. Right. And then of course your next question was why? Right. And for many of them, it really wasn't something that they had to have. Yeah. Yeah. I refer to it in the book as the golden ticket. We're Mm -hmm. all guilty of thinking, if I have X, then I'll get Y. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't, that isn't to say you shouldn't have big goals. Right. um, But it is to say you can't pin really anything on it. You kind of have to be excited and happy in your career where you are right now. Mm-hmm. And I find a lot of, of students and clients um, are already working on the next step and they're mm-hmm. not even enjoying where they're at. They're not blooming where they're planted, as I say. And so, um, yeah, that's, that is, that is a problem. You know, and, and it is an issue because we, we do, we hit those goals or we hit that goal and then, you know, we, we thought in order to have X, we have to have Y. Well, we get Y and then X doesn't happen. <laughs> and we're like, well, now what the heck do we do? The other thing that I see um, people do is make their past choices and their past wants and goals dictate their future ones. And so mm-hmm. a lot of students will come and say, hey, I'm going to go up for a promotion in my line of work. And they're, I can tell they're not excited. And I say, are you not excited about this? And they feel obligated to kind of stay in an industry or stay in a line of work because they've already been there or they got the degree in that. Mm -hmm. And they're really kind of always trying to justify new wants, you know, or justify, I guess, old ones with new ones. And so if they can just realize it's okay if if your mind changes and you want a different career, that's okay. It's scary, uh, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and... and I think it's even more difficult for women, and and especially I think maybe women who are a little bit older. You know, that is the one thing nice about the the Gen Zs and the and the millennials is, in many cases, they have been taught it's okay to to be yourself and to want what you want. And my generation was really taught to go along, 
to yes. get along, to do what society wants. Yep. And, you know, and so how do you work with people like that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think about a lot of the influence comes from the mothers of that generation. Mm -hmm. my, my mother is the same way. We sort of push back and forth against each other of, well, that's just not how I got that's not to how it's done. <laughs> and so it really is this appreciation of the generation that came before us and is allowing mm -hmm. us to even exist in this world and have these new problems, as I call them. These are, we're not over all the problems. We have, you know, new problems. And so kind of working with them and a lot of the work I do is kind of uncovering where their thought process is coming from. And a lot of times it's, it's what their parents told them. And I think about this all the time because I'm raising two girls and I think, mm -hmm. man, how am I influencing what they think about their career? Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a thing. Right. Well, you know, when I was growing up, my mom worked. Mm -hmm. And that really was fairly unusual. I mean, this mm -hmm. was the, the 70s. Huh? Um, and now she only worked half a day because it was really important to her to be yeah. home when I got home. And, you know, even though we lived in an extremely small community, very, very safe, you know, all these various things, mm -hmm. it was just important for her to, to be home for the most part when, when I got home. But as I said, a lot of other mothers didn't work. But I grew up thinking, oh, okay, yeah. women work. Yeah. And, you know, I, luckily I was not the generation that went to school, to college, especially for their MRS degree. Right. And could only be teachers or nurses. Mm -hmm. And obviously we're very stereotyping here. But, you know, I was, I wanted to be a lawyer. You know, I just thought that would be the coolest thing in the world because <clears throat> I like to argue. <laughs> but it, it never occurred to me that I couldn't do that because my mom went, okay. <laughs> and but you're right I mean we pick up on those things from our parents you know did our fathers encourage our mothers to work and mm -hmm. and you know that's certainly not to say there's there's anything at all wrong with being this the stay-at-home mom mm -hmm. you know that is if, I call that a profession mm -hmm. I mean you know that's and and so but the, the point is we want to do it because it's what we want to do Right. not because it's what society or somebody else expects us to do. Right. You have this, uh, you need to pick what you want to do, mm -hmm. but then the generation, you know, my parents' generation and before that didn't have the influence of social media in which judgment is then lobbed on women, whether they stay home or they right. work or how they raise their kids. There's this really big question of women of how they do things. Mm -hmm. How do you do it all? How do you raise your kids? How do you feed them? How do you make it all work? We don't ask men how. Right. And in asking how, we're essentially asking a magician to reveal their secrets. It doesn't matter how, but we have to sort of justify. And when you have to justify, then you feel like you have to say, don't worry, I'm being a good mom. Don't worry, I'm keeping up at work. Don't worry, I'm, I'm feeding my kids healthy food. And as a woman, I, I really do feel on the defense a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the questions people ask me are, how do you do it all? Or right. do you ever get time for anything else? And it, it kind of makes women feel like they're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Whereas the generation before struggled to even you know, be at the table. Now we're at the table and we're being asked <laughs> to sort of justify being there sometimes. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and then we're dealing with those insecurities in our own head. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody says, you know, how do you do it all? Absolutely. And the little voice in your head says, I don't do it all. <laughs> or, I cry in the shower. <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and 
And it's, it's so funny because, you know, you deal obviously a lot with women. And I mentioned at the start of the program that this really is women focused because I don't think men really have those issues. You yeah. know, and, and now some of them do, and I'm sure a lot of them do, but they just never ever say it because that's not manly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it's funny, you, you mentioned before, we don't question the men. You know, we yeah. don't say, well, you know, how can you be the, the, the father and the this mm-hmm. and the that? It's just kind of assumed, okay, you know, yeah. whatever. Or we assume they're, they're going to be working so much that they can't go to the kids' yeah. soccer games, you know, and, and so we kind of maybe cut them some slack. Yeah. But the, we, the working mom, we're like, well, why can't you do it all? Exactly. But we praise men. Um, you know, my husband is a very good equal partner, but he gets so much praise for that. I don't get mm-hmm. praised for right. being an involved mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just, and I mean, he, he gets that. In fact, he, at work, they were talking, um, he's sort of at senior management, and they were talking about um, making sure that the policies were good enough so the women um, would be able to take off with their kids when they're sick. And my husband raised his hand and said, or the fathers, like it's, right. it's a conversation where we mm-hmm. say where anyone can take off with their mm-hmm. kid. Um, but it's just, and it's not, it's not overt. It's just the way we've all been kind of conditioned. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny because, <coughs> excuse me, many men are obviously conditioned to the fact that, well, you know, if their child is homesick, it's the wife that stays home. Right. And, yeah, yeah. And, and because they, they don't want to be seen in a negative light by going into their boss and saying, I need to take some time off because I've got a kid home with, you know, a sore throat. Mm-hmm. It, you know, and, and so, I mean, it's got to, it puts them in a hard position too. And, and that's great that your husband says, well, wait a minute, this yeah. is for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is just, as we kind of mentioned, how our concern over how we're being perceived and a great sort of example in higher ed is those student evaluations that students get to do at the end of every semester about their professor. Mm-hmm. They're almost always negatively skewed toward women and women get rated down for things. Female professors get rated down for things like likability or niceness and men don't. And so there's because also, women are supposed to be nice, right? They're supposed to be nice. They're supposed to be pleasing and accommodating um, or, or funny. They get high marks if they're funny. Mm-hmm. And so think about how that translates into the way we view women in a boardroom. We don't want a woman, and there's, you know, tons of studies about how women, even in the C-suite, don't want to speak up in a boardroom because there is a concern over how they're going to be perceived. Right. When I I take my management classes and I divide them by gender, it's always great because men will say, oh, wow, I've never worried about how I was going to be perceived. I never worried if somebody would think I was rude. I've never worried about that. Mm-hmm. And it's just such an eye opener for both genders to realize, wow, we sit with our concern over perception constantly. Mm-hmm. And men, again, broad brushstrokes here, men don't worry about the perception. And so that's yet one more obstacle that's in the way between women and leadership or women and what they want to do. And I don't really know the answer other than to just keep talking about it. <laughs> well, and and it is evolving and, yeah. you know, not nearly as fast as, right. you know, as, as I think it should be. You know, let's just right. be honest about that. When we look at salary comparisons, um, yeah. you know, the number of women in leadership positions, things like that. And, and then it's interesting to look at where women go into leadership positions. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of women go into leadership positions in nonprofit organizations yeah. because women like to help people. Right. Um, you know, and, and, but for some reason, 
we, we almost think of that as a negative type of thing. Yeah. You know, well, she couldn't cut it in the tech world or, you know, whatever. And, you know, I love the programs, this, like the STEM programs, that really focus on young girls. Yeah. Um, and, and it doesn't matter what they actually end up going into. You need some of those sound basic skills in order to be successful. Yeah. Or even think about generally female-dominated industries like teaching. Mm-hmm the administration is almost always weighted male. Right. So there's still this thing where even industries where by numbers alone, we should be rising up to the top. We're just not. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that is systemic. A lot of that is society. But a lot of that is us as women worried about that perception, not stepping up, not stepping forward um, for a number of reasons. But it's, we've, we've got to at least solve our end of it and, mm-hmm. and get out there and get up there. Right. You know, and in your book, you talk about that. And your book is, again, called, oops, I just about knocked something off my desk. Everything is negotiable, the five tactics to get what you want in life, love, and work. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you talk about, and I've talked about this with other guests too, is that women in the workplace don't tend to negotiate nearly as much as men. And it right. starts with, we don't negotiate for better salaries, better yeah. benefits, things like that. So talk to us about that. Yeah, so I've probably worked with well over 100 women at this point on negotiating starting salaries. And I always say there's three reasons uh, why people, well, why women don't negotiate uh, for salary or anything. One, they didn't know they could. Right. Most, most yeah, women, if I'm told the job is 60000 a year, right. okay. I'll take it. Right. Mm-hmm. Number two, they don't, they don't know their own worth. Even if they felt like it was an area where they should negotiate, then, then they're stuck with, well, I don't know, you know, I don't have all the experience they asked for, or, you know, I've not been out there long enough. I, I just don't know what I'm worth. Um, and the final thing is they're, again, worried about how they're going to be perceived. The number one thing I hear women say about negotiating their salary is, I don't want them to think I'm greedy. Mm-hmm. I'm worried. I'm worried they'll rescind the offer because I'm being difficult. Mm-hmm. And by the way, we get called these things. So this isn't coming out of right. thin air, right. but that's just not, I mean, that is, that is something where that's part of the reason women don't, um, don't negotiate. The other part on the side of the companies is we have to stop asking the question, what is your previous salary? That's a big mm-hmm. part of why there's still a gap. Women are already underpaid and they keep getting referred back to that low pay. Um, and so a lot of cities like Boston are getting rid of that, that box and, and not even asking that question. And I always counsel clients and students just don't answer it. Right. Don't answer. So yeah, so it's, it's that and it's, it's other areas that we don't negotiate in. And again, it's that we're a little bit in a box and we don't quite know how to get out of that box. Sometimes we don't want to speak up in a meeting. We don't want to seem greedy. We don't want to seem rude. It's tough. Right. I mean, you've got an entire chapter on get out of your own way, right. <laughs> you know, and, and, and that really is true because we, you know, we, it's, it's easy to fall back on the excuses, Yeah, but it comes down to us. I mean, you know, if, if I don't negotiate, that's my fault. Um, yeah. you know, and, and, and so we need to own it. That's another part of your book. You know, right. owning it. See, I read it. I love it. You did, um, I know. But you know, it, it is, you know, and, and it doesn't matter age, again, sex, whatever. The second we start falling into those excuses, then 
it, nothing good is going to come from it. Um, you know, so yeah. we need to, to, you know, and, and if that means that we're difficult, if that means that we're one of those B words, right. you know, which That'd bossy is one of those. It's great. I'm looking at a button that I have hanging on my wall called ban bossy. Yeah. You know, and, and because women are thought of as being bossy, whereas yeah. men are thought of as being, Oh, I just sure. lost the word out of my head. Career minded, you know, all sorts of the various things. Skills. <laughs> right? Yeah, a leader. That's it. Yeah. You know, men are thought of as being a leader, and women are thought of as being bossy. Um, you know, and and so when we stop thinking about ourselves that way, yeah. then other people will too. And and to be honest, I mean, you know, if if somebody is going to say, "Well, you're just being difficult," do you want to be dealing with them? Yeah. Yeah. I always tell people that likability is a consolation prize. Mm -hmm. So women are really always trying to be likable, but it's something that we as people take away and throw on people easily. And the way I know that is because when you're in the office and someone comes into your office and starts griping about a coworker, they'll kind of catch themselves and go, but you know, but I, I think Dave's a great guy. I love Dave. I just right. love his job. Mm -hmm. So likability is not something people really need to be going after. If you're difficult, but you're great at your job, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, as long as you're doing the work, yeah. that's important. Now there, there is a situation where, you know, if, if you're, you know, causing issues because oh, you're likable, I mean, you know, obviously that's, that's very different, but you know what, if you go in, you do your job, you're not disruptive. Yeah. Okay, you know, maybe maybe you're just, you're not interested in being buddies with everybody at the office or, you know, whatever it is. But you were talking about uh, being in your own way, and where I see that come up the most is when students, or well, they're not students yet, they're prospective students, they're kind of feeling out the program, mm -hmm. and women will sit down and just start listing out all the reasons why coming back to grad school isn't going to work. You know, they want to have babies. Right. They're talking themselves out of it before they start, before right? I've even said a word. They're telling me all the reasons. They're setting up the pins of why they can't do this. Mm-hmm. And I just say, okay, you can always say that. Women tend to compartmentalize. They think, mm -hmm. seem to think they'll have the babies over here, and then they'll be able, once, once the babies are done, they can come over here and have school. And so I make a big case in the book about you got to do it all at the same time, and you got to not think you're giving everything everything. You're mm -hmm. just, you're going to take all you want. You're kind of going to stockpile everything you want, and then you're going to sort it out. But when you start coming into rooms and you say, I want to apply for this job, but I don't think I have enough skills. And you know what? It's a, it's a bad time at work for me to be leaving anyway. And I don't, I don't want to upset my boss and I kind of want to get pregnant. Okay. You've already taken your own offer off the table. Right. You have to counter back. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's funny when people are, are, you know, especially applying for a job, women do that. You know, when I work with people, I tell them, you know, look at how you're applying. And, you know, obviously generalizing here again, you know, say the job description has, you need to have these 10 skills. Right. A man looks at it and goes, okay, well, I'm proficient at six of them. <laughs> That's exactly two of right. them I can delegate and <laughs> two I can learn about, you know, and so they're okay, whatever. Um, or, you know, the numbers may even be more, you know, I'm proficient at one or two. Um, right. A woman looks at it and goes, I can do nine of those things really, really well. And the 10th one, maybe not so much. So I'm just not going to apply for the job. Absolutely. Every time. It's just a wish list. Those job descriptions, I, I say this till I bl I'm blue in the face. 
they're just a wish list. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you can't be, you know, applying to be a welder if you're right. I mean, there are some skills you obviously yeah. have to have. <laughs> yeah. Don't become a heart surgeon if you haven't had the proper training, but mm-hmm. by and large, uh, yeah, they're, they're a wish list. And if you can make a case, if you can make a case in that interview or make a case on your resume, be applying. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that, that, people will do is assume that applying means accepting the job. So they, right. they won't even apply. Mm-hmm. Like they haven't been offered the job and they're still holding themselves back. Right. Mm-hmm. What's the worst that can happen if you apply? It's you either will get a call or you won't, but mm-hmm. that's, that's not the same as accepting the position. Right. And then if you do get the offer, that's where you can negotiate some of these Absolutely. things. You know, maybe, you know, like we said, you know, nine things you're, excuse me, proficient in. And the one thing, maybe not so much. Well, then you'd negotiate. Yeah. That you get to go, you know, that they're going to send you to school for that or to training for that or, you know, whatever it is. But again, we, we don't even think that far. We just get to, no, can't do that. Oh, sorry. Or, you know, we get into that interview room and we try to make the case that we can do all the things and we're perfect for them. Mm-hmm rather than really focusing on who it is we are and what we bring to the table. Mm -hmm. And it's a subtle shift, but it matters a lot because if we start pretending we're something we're not professionally, that's why we're always so unhappy in our jobs because then we have to keep up that appearance uh, rather than just being honest and saying, Mm -hmm. I I actually don't know how to do number 10, like you said, and I'm going to need, I'm not going to need training on that. Right. And if they like you and want you, yeah. they will say fine. Yeah. You know, or maybe they'll say get that training and come back or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, that, that's uh, another one of the things you talk about in the book is when we negotiate, you have to be able to have a counter offer. Yeah. You, know, you can't just make a demand and then go, right. okay. <laughs> you have to, you know, you, and I mean, granted, there are times where there is the line. Yeah. Um, you know, say negotiating to buy a car. You know, you can only spend X number of dollars. Right. You know, and so you're going to go either side of that. And, you know, you mentioned negotiating for a, to buy a house, things like that. So you do have your actual bottom line, but right. don't get there at the very start. Absolutely. And, and beyond that, you are not going to be successful in negotiation, whether salary or otherwise, if you aren't crystal clear on what it is you want. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times women will say, well, I just want more money. And I'm like, well, that's a losing. You can't just right. How much money. is more money? Give me a thousand bucks. You know, mm-hmm. be more specific. And this whole book is about getting specific on on uh, what you want and how to make choices around that and kind of how to define that. Um, if you are clear on what you want, you are way more likely to be successful in mm-hmm. negotiating because you're going in there with very clear demands. Um, and again, you know, sort of countering around those demands. Um, but you're not just going in there and saying, I don't know, I'm not happy and I just want something different. That's not a negotiation. Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, look at it from, say, a marriage perspective. If you, mm-hmm. Or dating. You know, yeah. if you tell the, the person that you're involved with, I'm just not happy. Right. And they say, why? And you got to know. Right. I don't know. Well, figure it out. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, you know, I, I'm, I always tell my husband who we've been married 25 years, you know, so mm-hmm. obviously something is working. Right. But, you know, I will tell him in a loving way. Right. I don't read minds. <laughs> and he'll just look at me and go, huh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's such a great um, example because that the, the strongest negotiations that happened in my own marriage is when we had kids and all of those expectations seemed harder around me. Like we talked about being the default parent. Mm-hmm. And I remember very clearly one night, my, my oldest daughter is now seven. She was maybe a year old and my husband came home and I sat down and I said, 
here is a list of the things I no longer want to do. And it was <laughs> such a clear, like, you know, dishes. I mean, it was very clear. And he just was like, okay. Right. Like, how can you say no when someone's bringing you right. specific? Because I've taken... I've taken the question mark off for him, mm-hmm. just, you know, throwing stuff at the wall and hoping that's what's wrong. It's me saying, I need you to step up in these areas. So mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. It, it, it's in marriage. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm guessing that then you could have negotiated on the list. So say it had 10 things, right. Right. he would have been happy with seven. Right. <laughs> and he doesn't need <laughs> to do that. Exactly. And just, and to the men in the audience, he, the same thing goes for him. It's not oh, as yeah. if I'm, I'm always the hero. I like to think I am, mm-hmm. but he definitely has brought his list and said, okay. And that happens all the time. Like when he has to travel a lot, here's what I need you to, to handle while I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. And okay, I can do that because you're giving me specific demands. Right. Or I should say asks, not demands. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and actually that is probably one of the key things is when we make it a demand, then yeah. there really is no negotiation. Right. It's, it's, yeah. But and again, sometimes it has, especially like with kids, sometimes it is a debate and you will go to bed now. Right. <laughs> yeah. But that's, I mean, that's how I have to think about negotiations. It's leveraging your worth for something that you value. That's mm-hmm. all it is. Right. And so in that instance, at least in the marriage instance, you know, I'm a wife and I'm a mother and I'm valuable here and I'm worth something here. And I'm going to have to leverage it because I need, and at the time, the value was sanity. I need more sanity. Mm-hmm. So you have to get clear what it is you want, what it is you're worth, and what it is you value. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, to come back to people don't read our minds. You know, how many times have we heard, well, they should have known mm-hmm. that's what I wanted. And it, and it doesn't matter if it's professional or personal. Mm-hmm. You know, my boss well, should have known yes, that, I, that I wanted this. And, you know, and, and okay, well, how should they have known yeah. that? Well, I dropped mm-hmm. hints or, you know, it's like, no, you know, they're busy people too. spell it out for them. Yeah. I talk a lot uh, more with my uh, career coaching clients about this, you know, the concept of managing up and that, you know, your manager typically by and large wants to be a good boss, right? But, but he or she doesn't know what that looks like for every specific person. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to go in and, and, you know, they, they want feedback just like you know, an employee wants feedback. They want to know, hey, I really liked that you did whatever it was, or I, you know, I need, I need more feedback, whatever the case is. Again, getting clear on what that want is and then putting that ask out there. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it is on the other person too, to, to be asking questions. And, um, yeah. you know, I've, I talked with a guest recently about how to be a good manager. And that is to, in some way, you know, get to know your employees. You know, obviously there are, you know, the, there are those that, you know, cross lines and things like right. that, but, you know, and, and then give them what they want and need, you know, so, you know, instead of just giving everybody, say, the holiday party and saying, oh, you know, here to show you that we're <laughs> a valued employee, right. you know, instead, if you gave them maybe, uh, you know, so you have like a budget of 20 bucks per person. So, you know, some people might get a gift card to their favorite restaurant. Well, you pick that up just from listening to them talk about that favorite restaurant. Or, you know, you know that their favorite charity is something. So you give a $20 donation Mm -hmm. to that charity. Or, you know, for some people it's time off or, you know, a a t-shirt or whatever it is. And so it's it's, it's about how to to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. 
You know, and, and obviously sometimes you you have to, you know, like especially say teaching. I mean, you know, you have to grade them. You can't right. you know? and you know, and, and same with you know, corporate reviews. And I I hated that when I was in corporate America and had to do reviews on both ends, you know, get reviewed and give reviews. I just hated that process. Mm-hmm. But part of it was, especially when I was giving the reviews as the manager, what if they don't like me? Yep. 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 Oh my gosh. I struggle with that in the classroom all the time because, you know, my sort of philosophy and I run a lot of discussion classes. I'm in the political science department. It can get very heated. There's a Mm -hmm. lot of debate, but sometimes I don't get feedback on how people think about me or the class or the, or the content until the, the evaluations at the end of the semester when I can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. And if I'm worried about how they're perceiving me and if they like me, I mean, that, that can really get in the way. But to your point about kind of customizing the value, adult learners are a very specific type of learner mm-hmm. and everybody has a different learning style. And mm-hmm. some, people, some people just want those lectures and those tests and some people want to just debate and read. And trying, it makes me a stronger professor to to try to accommodate those, but I had to get into a, get to a point where I would say, if you don't tell me what you need in mm-hmm. learning, I, I can't know that. Right. And you sort of set the boundaries about how you're going to take that feedback. Cause what you don't want is to just open the floodgates and say, right. you can criticize me and give me feedback all day long. I'm, mm-hmm. you know, cause that's the other thing that happened. So I just had to get clear and say, Hey, uh, last night in class, actually, I said, Hey, we're at the halfway point of the semester. What's your feedback? How can we make the class better, stronger, whatever? Mm-hmm. And just kind of set those parameters. Managers can do that. Anyone can do that and say, my doors are open for this window. Let me know how I can help. Mm-hmm. Well, and as business owners, we have to set those boundaries yes. also. Yeah. Um, you know, I work from home. My clients all know that. Now, I refer to the space where I work as my office. And it mm-hmm. is, you know, my accountant makes me do that. You know, but right. it is my <laughs> office, there's nothing else that's in here. It's just my office. You know, all those various things is not the kitchen table. Right. But I also had to, to make it clear to my clients that I have office hours. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and they're basically eight to five. Right. If you send me an email at seven o'clock at night, yeah. Now I will probably look at it just because I'm one of those people and, yeah. and most small business owners and entrepreneurs do that, yeah. but I'm probably not going to respond until the next day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was funny when we first moved to Atlanta, I had a client who was in California. So three hour time difference. Mm-hmm. We had been here, oh, less than a week. And she texts me because longtime client and also, you know, a, a, a friend. So she had my, my cell phone number. And she texts me and she says, have you unpacked your computer yet? I have, I, I have something I need help with. And I said, well, no, I haven't unpacked the computer yet. What's up? And what she basically needed was something very simple. But it was 7.30 at night for me. Yeah. So 4.30 for her. Right. And so I, I always tell my clients, if it's outside of office hours, unless it's a true emergency, it can wait. But if we're doing something outside of office hours, then it will cost you more. And they, <laughs> they pretty it. much always understand, and they understand, and, and usually they, oh, it can wait. Um, but, you know, and so, you know, she and I came to this agreement that I wouldn't respond at 7.30 at night, but I also wouldn't expect her to respond at 5.30 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so obviously it shrunk the hours that, that we could uh, work with each other, but we just knew, okay, so now we have a different window. Here's what we're going to do. Um, 
You know, I also had clients that, well, you, you do, you know, you're home 24 seven. So you, you know, you should be able to right. answer my question at midnight or the friends who now that you're home, why can't you go to a movie with me or whatever? And I'm like, no, I'm working. Now, do we have that flexibility? Yes. You know, I can decide, okay, I'm going to work on Saturday and I'm going to play on Thursday. But if we don't set those boundaries, Absolutely. nobody knows how to anticipate them. Well, and setting the boundaries not only helps your clients respect you more, it helps yourself respect yourself more. Right. You're going to stick to those because you're making your clients stick to them. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of times what I say about uh, boundary setting or negotiating is the value is in the ask, not the right. outcome. Mm -hmm. Once you've said, this is what I need and somebody doesn't uh, do that, then you're mad mm -hmm. versus being resentful that they just aren't reading your mind. And mm -hmm. I had um, a student who really didn't want to negotiate her salary. And I kind of, you know, explained to her why she needed to. Um, sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Oh, we're, we're negotiating our boundaries. Okay. Oh, we'll right. Come back. So, right, right. So she, <laughs> um, so she, so she made the ask, um, and they came back she was worried she was going to seem greedy and they came back and they said, yeah, no, we're not going to, we're just going to give you this salary or nothing else. And just the art of asking for that amount of money changed her mind about her own worth. Mm -hmm. So she accepted the job, was very resentful and then quit three months later because she just right. ultimately decided that her, her worth. And so when you make that ask, you've, you've made the ask of yourself and it's so, it's so important. Mm -hmm. You know, and and it's okay to do that. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that we, especially as women, need to get yeah. past is it doesn't mean that, that we're bossy or demanding or all that. And, and yes, sometimes it does. So we're not talking about those people. <laughs> um, but when you're making a rational, maybe is, is the way to put it, mm -hmm. a request, not a demand, but a rational request, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my... <laughs> Husband tells this great story about, uh, this has been several years now, he, there was a management position open up and he applied for it. And the feedback from the top was, oh, we didn't even know you were interested in management. Mm -hmm. And this whole time, he was kind of like, I wonder why I haven't been promoted, right? right? And so we sometimes sit there and think, they'll pick me, they'll pick me, they'll, mm -hmm. they'll do these, they won't, they don't They'll know. do the right thing. People, right. People are just thinking about themselves mm -hmm. all the time. And that's okay. Because right. you're thinking about yourself all the time. But then you have to make that ask or they don't know that you want to be mm -hmm. in the or they right. don't know that you're bored at your job. Mm -hmm. You have to say these things. Right. It's funny. I was working with a, a young woman one time. Actually, she wasn't a young woman. I was working with a woman one time hmm. on her LinkedIn profile. She was mm -hmm. unhappy with her current position. So, you know, wanting to, to uh, obviously look elsewhere. And so in her LinkedIn summary, she, in, you know, she put something along the lines of her ultimate goal was to do X, Y, Z. Mm -hmm. Well, her boss saw it, <laughs> called her into the office. And so I always tell people, you know, okay, be aware of this right. um, and called her into the office. And he said, Hey, you know, I, I see from your LinkedIn profile. I mean, he was very open that you want to do this. And she, she was, she said, yes. You know, and he said, is there any reason you don't want to do it here? Oh, and 
she was just brought up short. It had never <laughs> occurred to her. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so she actually ended up staying because of course, you know, it, it was a good opportunity. Um, you know, it wasn't that, you know, it was just, Hey, we want to keep you. But so, you know, she got to keep all the benefits, all those various things. But yeah, it, she just, she didn't even stop to think, yeah. Hey, maybe I can do that with my company. And, and her boss, you know, she told me that her boss was actually a little offended that mm-hmm. she hadn't come to him and said, Hey, you know, I want to want to do this. But she told him and me, I thought he might fire me. Mm. And that is always, you know, and, and, you know, something that we have to deal with is if we tell people we want to do this, they might say, take a hike. Yeah. Well, again, do you want to be somewhere where they have that attitude? I love that you brought that up because one of the things that people say most often about their jobs and why they want to take a new job is they're not being challenged. Right. And I say, well, Okay, who are you looking to challenge you? Well, my boss. My boss needs to give me more challenges. Okay, well, find those challenges. Right. Go to a conference. Find find a new process you can work on. Find find anything. And I've had so many women that have had success in just taking over that responsibility of creating the challenges for themselves. But we are always kind of, I talk about this a lot in the book, we are always kind of looking for somebody else to fix it. Right. I'm unhappy in my job. My boss is the worst. I don't get paid well enough, but we're really not taking on that responsibility of making it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I do tell people you do have to pick and choose your battles. Oh, of course, um, you know some of them are. You know, and and it. You know, uh, one of the great examples that I use is you know here at the house, when my husband loads the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, see, you know where I'm going with one plate in and runs it. <laughs> I know, or all oh, this random order. And he's normally this really organized person. Love yeah. him dearly, but you know he loads the dishwasher, and so then I can either I can choose several options. <laughs> you know, I can let it go because they're going to get clean. You know, right, right. and or you know, or I can reload it, which is usually what I do. Right? You know, how many times, ladies, show of hands, how many times do we just go reload the dishwasher? Or I can say something snarky like, don't you know where to put that cup? Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's pick and choose your battles. You know, yeah. is it worth it to get into a fight over how you load a dishwasher? <laughs> well, and that's such a, that's such a great point because of the, um, I've worked with a lot uh, just on researching for the book of HR professionals and directors in companies. And they will say, if you want a higher salary, great. Or if you'd rather negotiate for more time off, great. But but probably don't come in and give all. I I need everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I you know I could I could uh, argue against that a little bit. But it's a great point. Maybe maybe you're okay with the salary, but what you really want is you want to work from home three days a week. Mm-hmm. And when I was uh, in, on the book deal for everything is negotiable with my agent, I said I have one demand. She's like okay, and I said I want to read the audio book, which is most authors don't read their own audio books. Mm-hmm. But it was it was the thing I cared about, and so I really dug down on that. Um, and you know, of course, there were other things I cared about, but that was the top priority. So that was the hardest I was going to fight. Mm-hmm. But in the case of the dishwasher, it's like, is the priority? What is the top priority? Is right. it the way you want that the dishes get clean. It's such a great example of really figuring out what's the end game. What do you care about the most? Mm-hmm. And and is it even worth bringing up? 
Um, you know, and, and, and it's so funny because, you know, my husband will load the dishwasher and then he'll stand there and watch me reload it. And then he'll just walk (laughs) off. Um, you know, and, and there are times where I look at it and go, Hmm, whatever. And I just run it. Um, you know, it's like, okay, how much effort am I going to put into this today? Because knowing that, yes, the dishes will get clean, just not. And, but that's, that is one of the things that I have dealt with, you know, my entire career or, you know, my entire adult life, maybe I should say, because this also pertains to, you know, volunteering and, and things like that. There's one way and it's my way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's been one of the hardest things for me mm-hmm. to let go of is oh, yeah. to know it can be done another way. It yeah. might not be my way. It's just yeah. a different way. So I teach, uh, cause I teach for adult learners who are employed. So I teach nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. And so my husband obviously has the children um, on those nights and weekends. And so I got kind of got a little uh, ticked off that he would feed them, like he would take them out to eat, whereas mm-hmm. I would, you know, cook them a meal. Right. And somebody said to me, but he's getting them fed, right? Mm-hmm. And you're not having to do the feeding, right? And it was so clear that I, it was yeah. like I had to control not only that something got done, but the way it got done. Right. A lot of why women are just tired all the time is because we kind of want that control. We trust only ourselves Mm -hmm. uh, and it's hard, but at the same time, it's like, you know what? Those kids are fed. He's feeding them well enough. He's a great dad. I've got to just trust him and not be having to control the process of everything. Right. And once I give up that control, okay, well then I can focus on running a really great class, which I ultimately need to do in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're not thinking, what are they eating now? What are they eating right. now? <laughs> right. Well, now one of the other things that you talk about in your book, and, and this was something that, that I really found interesting, was the fact that especially as women, we take on somebody else's wants and needs. Yeah. Yeah. And, and incorporate them. And, and I loved how you talked in the book about, you, you, you mentioned food and that reminded me, you know, when you had your first daughter, you wanted everything to be perfect. I always loved, you know, and, and I'm not a parent, not a parent but, but you know, parent. second children are always very different, right? The first one you want to be absolutely perfect. You're over it. But. Right. You know, and, and, and so you, you were told, were told, I'm getting a weird getting echo a weird all of a sudden. Are you hearing the echo? Echo? Mm-mm. Okay. Then never mind. Um, um, so, so you, know, you were you thinking that were because thinking your friends fed fancy organic you had to do that. You had to so do tell that. Us that story. Tell us that story. Yeah. So I, I, when you, when you enter something new, whether it's motherhood or leadership or whatever, you're so kind of, um, I don't know, insecure might be the right word, that you kind of look at other people to define what your goals are going to be. And so when I first had my baby, uh, my first child, I have two girls, um, I just kind of looked around at other mothers and saw that I had this good friend who was very, I will call her a crunchy mom because that's what she calls herself. And she <laughs> One was of the like, granola people. Well, yeah. And I was like, okay, that's what I need to be. Um, which is so, by the way, not at all... <laughs> The kind of person I am. So why I went down that path, I have no idea. I get it now and think, man, I must have just been really worried about how to be a mom. And so I just got into the habit of like making organic baby food all the time. And then I was like in the grocery store and I I don't know if I had just never really like looked around or something, but I just saw like all this organic baby food for sale. And I thought, oh, I can just buy this. I can just throw money at this. Um, But what it kind of pointed to was I just, 
in that moment was comparing myself and setting my standards for myself based on somebody else who mm-hmm. had very different goals for her life as a mom. And once I, and it takes a while to gain your own confidence in anything and in, in leadership and parenting and marriage. Once I gain that confidence, then I'm like, okay, here's the goals I have as a mom for me. But everything that we do sometimes is look at other people to define our own success. And so the book has a lot to do with you aren't competing because, because competing means you're going out for the same goal, mm-hmm. um, but you're not. That, that crunchy mom has a very different set of goals for her life and her kids. And I have a very different set of goals for mine and my kids. And so you really have to stop getting into this mindset of comparing yourself to people at work, uh, people in your social circle. It's so easy. I mean, right now with the book, it's very easy for me to get on and see what other authors are doing or for me to look around at work and see what other professors are doing in their class and think, oh, oh, maybe I should, I should do that. I mean, it's so easy. And so we have to stop doing that because we don't, we have different goals. You know, and it's okay to look at what they're doing, but if you incorporate it, it needs to be because it fits, not because, as as you said, you know, because I have to do it because that's the way that person did it. Exactly. Um, You know, and, and, and that's where it's hard. Yeah. Really as a business owner, well, you know, this is how that person did it. And and we get all the self-help books and this is how you do it books. And it's like, um, you know, I I work with a lot of people on how to use social media for business Mm -hmm. and I, you know, and they say, well, my competitor does this. Mm Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, that's nice that, that you've done your research on them, yeah. but you have no idea if it's really effective for them right. or, you know, all these various things. They, you know, they're doing it because their competitor did it that way. Right. And right. so, wow, what if you did something different that set you apart? Yeah. And Again, like, it's getting really clear on your wants, on your goals, <laughs> on your niche. Mm-hmm on what you bring to the table and not trying to be what other people bring to the table. Right. But that's very scary because, yeah. you know, it is easier just to say, okay, I see how Sue does this. Yep. I'm just going to do the same thing because I don't want to have to figure it out myself. <laughs> yeah. Or we're also, as I talk about in the book, uh, conformity helps us feel like we're, um, we're getting approval. Mm-hmm. If we look like other people and we walk and talk and act like other people, we we get approval because they exist and we exist, and so it's all the same thing. Um, but I don't want approval. I want to be. Um, I mean, I if I get it, great. But what I want to be is myself and have a career that's different than everybody else's and have a life that's different from everybody else's, only because I feel different from everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, and as we mentioned, a lot of that comes back to when we were little. Um, you know, the, the, the comments and, you know, why can't you be more like your sister your right. or, you know, I'm an only child. So, you know, I lucked out. I didn't get right. anybody, but my husband's one of nine oh, and, God. you know, I'm guessing that every once in a while it was, why can't you be more like, yep. you know, and, and, and not only is he one of nine, he's eight. Yep. So, of uh, you know, so he had seven of them, you know, that, that were yeah. bad. But you hear that all the time where, you know, say the teacher says, why can't you be more like your brother? Yeah. Or, you know, obviously the parents or, or things like that. And, and we, you know, employers do that also, you know, why can't you be more like, well, you can't be because you're not them. Yeah. Yeah. But look at, you know, look at what is it that they were, were liking? Were they liking that they were 
prompt, that they were, um, you know, that they got their tasks done on time, you know, all these various things. And then maybe incorporate that, but don't just say, okay, well, I have to be like Bob or Sue. Yeah. One of the things that I tell women to do is to find a mentor in the industry that's not in your path of advancement. So not your boss, right? but somebody that objectively who isn't, so like my spouse is always going to tell me I'm right. That's but my mentor does not. My mentor calls me on it. Mm-hmm. And especially in those times where I'm starting to get stressed that I don't look like another person in the industry. Mm-hmm. She'll be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You've got different goals. You've got different. And so it's, it's kind of helpful sometimes to get out of that comparison mode or to get out of that worry by having an objective person who's invested in you, but not controlling you. Because when right. you, I mean, if your boss is your mentor, I think that's okay too, but sometimes they can steer you to do what they need done versus a mentor that's, that's really wanting to help you thrive. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we have to stop comparing ourselves. You know, yeah. I saw a post on Facebook the other day in, in one of the groups that I belong to, which is for women speakers. Mm-hmm. And this woman posted and she said, I don't know what to do. I am more comfortable presenting in flat shoes with a skirt on, but I'm, I can't do that. What? And so yeah, and that was okay. Who told you you can't? I mean, that was, that was my first, you know. <clears throat> and she said, "Well, when I look at other female speakers, I see that they're dressed in suits. I see, you know, and it's like, and you know, oh. and I, and and I thought, okay, I can't get into this with this person, <clears throat> but I really wanted to say it's about you being comfortable. You know, yeah. if you're if, if you're going to teeter around on heels and fall over, you know, that's not going to work. Um, you know, I'm, and, and same thing with the dress. I mean, y- you can't dress totally out there. Yeah. You know, if, if they're wearing suits, well, you know, if you're presenting to a group that's wearing suits, you know, it's kind of like when you go for a job interview. You kind of want to match a little bit about what they're wearing, but you still have to be yourself. Yeah. Well, and how much of what women um, worry about is how we look. The messages mm-hmm. constantly are how right. we look. And this question around, you know, can I wear flats? Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, you can. Please do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's funny. That's one of the things, you know, my longtime listeners know that, that I've had health issues. And part of what has come from that is I got rid of 30 suits. Mm. I have one suit now, and I don't think it even fits. <coughs> no more heels. Yeah. All sorts of things because I have to be comfortable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I teach in, in tennis shoes and, um, because I, it, I stand all day. I stand for eight hours to teach a class mm-hmm. and it, it just kind of became a logistical thing. And also, I, I don't know, there's just a lot about the, the way that we get perceived based on what we wear that mm-hmm. I just, oh, I'm, I'm kind of exhausted by it myself. Oh, my I don't, you know, I don't always want to fix my hair every day and I don't always want to put on makeup every day. And so sometimes it's, it's how much of this is us and how much of it is the messages that, that we get. And do people even notice, you know, I've pretty much stopped wearing makeup and nobody has said, oh my gosh, you don't wear makeup anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, speaking of, oh my gosh, Meg, we are almost at the top of the hour. So tell people how they find and connect with you online and find your book. Yes. So the book is Everything is Negotiable, The Five Tactics to Get What You Want in Life, Love, and Work. You can get it at fine retailers everywhere, including Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. You can also visit my website, which is megmyersmorgan.com. 
Um, I do consulting and career coaching as well as writing and teaching. So if that's of interest to you, you can um, reach me through that website. Perfect. I love it. Well, do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners? Um, know your worth and ask for more. Perfect. I love it. You know, if you, if you haven't learned anything else today, ladies, know your worth and ask for it. Yeah. Well, I am Deb Creer. I've been having a delightful time talking with Meg Myers Morgan. And until next time, everyone have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Business Power Hour, hosted by Deb Creer. Join us next time for more real-life stories and techniques to power up your business. You've been listening to C-Suite Radio. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.